All right. Well, hello, everyone. I'm David Kamira, and today we have Valentino Stoll. Hey, now. And we also have a special guest, uh, Joe. Hey, Joe, I don't think you really need any introduction. You are a big figurehead in our community. But why don't you give people a little bit about who you are and what you do and why you're famous here? <laughs> famous, yeah. Uh, so, hi, everyone. My name is Joe Mazzalotti. Uh, you might know me from my blog or products around the Turbo Native space. I, my goal is to help Rails developers launch iOS and Android apps. That's what I try to do. Um, I'm working on a ton of stuff in that space, but right now it's mostly uh, I'm blogging about it, doing YouTube videos, and I recently gave a talk at Rails World where I presented kind of like Turbo Native for, for Rails developers and how to launch those apps on your own. Awesome. So I guess let's come out of the box swinging. Yeah. Do you prefer iOS or Android? <laughs> Uh, that's a bit of contention right now, <laughs> actually. Uh, so I got my developer, like, you know, origin story working mostly on iOS. Like I was an iOS developer before a web developer and then got introduced to rails and was like, oh, wow, this is, this is much better. Um, <laughs> and spent a, a few years like doing exclusively rails work. And then turbo native popped up at my full-time job at the time. And I realized that I had this like interesting amalgamation of two different skill sets that I was able to apply to the same technology. And that's where I got really interested in Turbo Native. And I got, you know, launched an app there, then started consulting, writing a book now, like doing all this that kicked off everything. Uh, so I was always an iOS developer at heart. <laughs> um, that has definitely changed in the past few years as I've been more a Rails developer that does iOS. But to answer your question directly, I'm... I'm not a huge fan of the Android development stack. I have an iPhone, you know, I have a Mac. That said, I am pretty excited about some of the stuff that's been recently released on Android and, you know, recent in the last like five years. Um, I haven't really touched Android in, in a little while, which is both good and bad because I can kind of come at it with a fresh, a fresh look as I start to do the complementary material for all of the iOS stuff that I've written and, and presented and stuff. For sure. And so did you do uh, any iOS development with Rails before Turbo Native, like uh, integrating with Rails applications or other apps? Yeah, I built a couple fully native, you know, iOS apps with uh, Rails API on the back end and, you know, building out every single screen on, on iOS, building out every single screen on, on the server, every single screen on Android. I did that for a little while. And was pretty disheartened, like, you know, discouraged with how long it takes to do everything, which is why I was like when Turbo Native popped up, it was just like so enticing to me and so exciting. Um, I'm not sure if it might make sense to like give a quick overview of what Turbo Native is in case anyone hasn't heard it or just like a quick high level. Would that be helpful? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Cool. Um so Turbo Native is a thin adapter layer that sits on your iOS or, or your Android app. And at the core, it's just taking your web content and rendering it inside of a native app. So, you know, you have your profile screen on your Rails app. Your Turbo Native app would hit your, your endpoint, you know, your user slash two or whatever, slash profile. 
and just render that HTML in a web view on your iOS and Android apps. And, and what it does is it enables Rails developers to build Rails mobile screens, you know, like they normally would for mobile web, but package those inside of apps that you download from the App Store and Google Play. And a little bit of magic on the top that helps you integrate into like more native functionality. So, you know, push notifications and geofencing, all that stuff you can't do on the web or can't do it really well. You have full access to that with Turbo Native as well. And so where does Strata come into play? Strata, uh, I guess Strata was released a little over September-ish, right? So a month and a half ago. Strata gives Turbo Native developers kind of like a bedrock to build upon. So Strata doesn't actually introduce any new features. Everything you could do, you can do with Strata. You could already do with Turbo Native before it was released, but it was really clunky. Like to to render a native button on your, you know, on the screen in an iOS or an Android app would require like writing a JavaScript method, writing this custom handler that listened to that JavaScript method, rendering the button, responding back with custom JavaScript. And all of this was very finicky and very just like touch and go. And if like one thing broke, your whole app would just like no longer work. So you break your JavaScript build on your server and all of a sudden your iOS app doesn't work. Strata simplified this this contract between the iOS slash Android and Rails app where you have this JSON API that you can talk to each other through JavaScript still. Like you still write a stimulus controller, but what you get is something where instead of arbitrary JavaScript, you can just say, send a message or add button. And the iOS app knows or the Android app knows that add button means add a button in the top right, add a button in the top left. And then the best part is that you can respond to those messages. So when the server's like, hey, add a button to the top right, and the iOS app does it, when the user clicks the button, you can respond to that message and say the user clicked it, which means now Strata can go in and actually tap your web button for you. And that gives the Rails developer full control. You don't have to build out you know, disabling native buttons. You don't have to build out uh, all of this form validation. It's all using your web stuff. It's all using your controllers, your actions, any JavaScript you've wired up. It's all just works for you. All you're doing is creating a new way to click a button. <laughs> at the end of the day. And and Strata provides that glue to make all of that much easier. Yeah. My iOS development is limited to Ruby Motion. That's <laughs> the only app I've ever shipped to the App Store. And Ruby Motion was really cool. It was a very novel idea. But at the time, it was really hard. And I almost regretted going down that route because... Yeah. Now you had all of the documentation is in Objective C. The documentation for Ruby Motion was very limited. And then any kind of documentation I read about iOS, I had to then translate into the Ruby equivalent. And that was a real pain. So I think that kind of like turned me off from doing initial, you know, iOS development. But I've been meaning to dive into Turbo a bit more because I really like the idea of having to have one application that's basically accessible on multiple platforms. Um, <clears throat> what big features from Turbo Native do you think are still missing? Or do you think it's pretty much feature complete? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the whole Ruby Motion thing, just real quick, is is a very 
fun perspective to have on all of it because Ruby Motion was like, I wish I could use Ruby Motion. I wish I could write Ruby, you know, on all three platforms, but you still need a core iOS and a core Android, you know, written in native Swift, written in native Kotlin to kind of glue all your web views together. So you still have to do that native development to get started. But I found that you do that native development, you spend a couple of weeks on it, and then you maybe never have to touch it again. Like I've had an iOS app, a turbo native iOS app in the in the app store for almost five years without an update to the client. And it gets a new feature on the server on the Rails side, like every week. And the iOS app and the Android app just get those app features for free. But the client that's actually deployed hasn't been updated in in five years. So you might find a better home with Turbo Native because you're actually writing, you know, real Swift and real Kotlin, which has a learning curve itself, but you're not doing that translation layer where it's like, well, this is how you do an Objective C, and this is the documentation, and this is Ruby Motion, and this is Ruby. You're just kind of reading Apple Docs or Google Docs. So I, I really love the uh, the parallel to Ruby Motion here, and because I think it makes a great distinction in that, you know. Like I loved your Rails talk, by the way. Uh, Thank we you. broke down how to give, like, build a Turbo Native app. That was great. Uh, but I think it makes a great distinction in, you know, you're not sub- resubmitting a new app every time you yeah. make a change, right? Like, you don't have to go through that review process if you're just making a tiny, co- you know, content tweak or something like that, uh, or trying to change the name of a button, right? Like, uh, I think that's a huge distinction from Ruby Motion which was, okay, build all the native elements and layout and things like that as an app and go through that same process that you would, you know, review-wise because you're rebuilding the app and recompiling everything uh, natively, right? <laughs> uh, you, using the underlying tool set. But like Turbo Native is like, all right, we have web components that we can use and adapt based on the phone's, you know, layout mechanisms and everything that's built in there. You know, even file uploading, as you mentioned, right? Like there's so many things that are available to the web UI now uh, Mm -hmm. that it obviates the need to like compile things. You know, obviously there's still going to be, if you need like a resource intensive like UI or Mm -hmm. something where you're trying to like manipulate a map in a a ton of different ways, right? Like maybe it doesn't make sense as a Turbo Native. Am I getting that right? Yeah, totally. You've, you've, hit all the, the, the high points of, of Turbo Native. <laughs> um, being able to fix bugs, change copy. Yeah, those are the minor things, but you can deploy brand new features, brand new controllers, brand new routes. Like as long as there's a link to it on a web page and that's a page you can access, you can get to it on your Turbo Native app without submitting new builds. It's only when you dive into adding or modifying native features. So, you know, you talked about a map screen. You probably want to do native. If you want to now update those pins to be green instead of blue, or maybe they pop out and have two lines of text, like, yeah, that's a new app release. You're not going to have a benefit from, from Turbo Native there. You're doing, quote, real Swift, real Kotlin. Uh, <laughs> but for like 95% of all your features, you can just submit an app, just submit to your, or just deploy your Rails code. So I do have a question about that that you might be able to answer. Mm-hmm. One issue that I see with it is any kind of compliance updates. So I've been through this with iOS where yeah. I pushed a release and it immediately got rejected from their, I forget what their um, the staging. Team. I'm sorry? The App Store review team? Or Yeah. Uh, it got pushed back because it wasn't compliant because now it needed 
something like a splash screen, for example. And so with something like that, would you ever risk your application being removed because you haven't needed to push an update because it is mm-hmm. all you know, remotely server pushed uh, yeah. through the Rails application? Yeah, um, I'm doing a Google just to get the date right. So I, ha- I submitted an app to the App Store years ago, right? And the last time it was updated was November 28th, 2018. And that is still downloadable today. Like I said, it still gets new features every week. That's five years ago. Apple just contacted, I'm no longer at the company. Apple just contacted the developer and was like, hey, you need to update this or we're going to remove it from the App Store. (laughs) Five years. Five years. It was good, right? And I'm working with them again. We spent like a week just updating Xcode, updating all the dependencies, ripping out stuff we didn't need, and then resubmitted. And now we'll be good for another five years. You know, hopefully, Mm -hmm. right? Like maybe it'll change. But even if you think about that on a yearly cadence, you have to update your native apps once a year to to just like stay compliant. You're in a really good spot versus having to release every week or every two weeks or or every day. Because the process has gotten better over the years, but App Store review is still a pain in the butt. And submitting apps to the App Store is still a pain in the butt. Like I can automate a ton of it, but I still have to click a button at the end of the day to actually review, you know, click for submission or, or release it. And it's very different than a Git push. And, and in five minutes, your, you know, your production site is, is updated on Rails. Yeah. And how does it affect the SEO in the App Store if you don't send updates regularly? Even though the application from a mm-hmm. user perspective, is being updated because new content's being delivered. But yeah. if you aren't actually submitting a new application periodically, does that yeah. hurt the visibility of the app? I can't say for sure. I don't know if there's any public knowledge about, like, from Apple that would release that. Like, you know, we, we prioritize recently updated apps or anything. But I do know that if you go to, like, your updates tab on on in the App Store, and you don't see your app there for a couple of years, you might think that it's kind of, you know, delay. Uh, it's it's abandoned or something. I think that the the workaround there is that if you're updating the Rails app and they're getting new features, they don't care that the native client hasn't been updated. Like they're getting new features, they're they're submitting bugs, they're getting bugs fixed for them. They're seeing progress even if the app store doesn't maybe think that there's updates. But your question was actually more of does Apple think that it's more of like an app that's just sitting around? And I think that for that, it's not a bad idea for every month or every couple of months to submit your exact same code binary, like literally copy paste it and write some release notes of new features that you existed on the Rails server. And that's a good way to give develop like users, oh, this app was updated and here's some new features. It's like one more marketing channel if you want to go through the hoops of, of writing those release notes that they'll see. And I think that's worth it. It's less relevant now because mostly people have automatic updates turned on and they don't actually manually update their apps on iOS or Android. But it's a little bit of work if you're, you know, just resubmitting instead of actually rebuilding and repackaging and all that stuff. It's like literally the same binary. So I I wanted to take a quick step back on like, just like the process of turbo native development, right? Mm -hmm. Because in your talk, you, you know, start from scratch yeah. and building a brand new, you know, project in iOS 
you know, Xcode, right? Um, and you, you start building Swift components, basically, right? To put the web view uh, or turbo native view, right, into uh, the flow of things, which to be honest, I back when I when I had done mobile apps uh, originally, I also went through a web view, and it was like a, <laughs> a thing, like just yeah. this design firm I had joined. Yeah, they slapped a web view in a you know container, and that was like their base app, and they mm-hmm. just like copy paste it, and then you know then you were just browsing at the page, right? <laughs> and it was very slow. Like you'd get some delay, not not necessarily noticeable. I mean, this was when iPhone was earlier, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so there's a little bit of a delay and a lag there. I, I, I've i noticed that like you're using like native elements now, right? Uh, which take a, a lot of that aspect of away, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, where does that fall off, right? Like where does like, okay, you've gotten the web view aspect in and you've hooked up your Rails app to the point where it's like good to go. Like at what point do you start saying, okay, this the Swift development is now dropping off and I'm now more doing Rails. Yeah, very quickly. Uh, I think that you're, if you're work, like the way that I normally recommend it to clients is build out your Rails app. If you already have a, a Rails app that you want to then port to iOS or Android, that's great. But like, don't do them at the same time. Get your feature func- your features ready, get, every, get authentication working, build out your mobile web Rails website almost fully and then let's wrap it in a turbo native shell. Like that's the terminology that I use because that's all you're really building. It might take a few months to organize and you know fill in the missing pieces and making sure that native authentication works and your push notification certificate is, is wired up and all that good stuff. But you're really only writing this like thin wrapper around your Rails website that is going to be fairly generic on purpose. So once you write that Swift or that Kotlin code you can forget about it, right? You can kind of just move on. And then you're just back to doing Rails development. You're doing what you do best and writing more Ruby, writing more controllers, writing more views. You could even slap on, you know, a screen that has React in it, right? As long as you're still using Turbo to navigate between actual pages, the JavaScript and the stuff that's going on on the page, Turbo Native doesn't care about. You can have WebSocket connections, you could have you know, action cable going on, all of this fun stuff, turbo morph, all that fun stuff can happen because it's just rendering that web content for you. The the big the big improvement though, you know, like you were saying, like a few years ago, it wasn't up to speed. A few years ago on Apple specifically, we went from UI WebKit to WK WebKit, essentially a, an embedded browse, an embedded web browser inside of the app that runs on process versus an externally rendered mini safari that renders out of process it means that you can render like your full javascript acceleration you know full access to the gpu you have all the stuff that mobile web would have but it's packaged inside your app in like this memory efficient way and that was this huge breaking point that kind of enabled turbo native to or turbo links native at the time to really work because without that you you, you had a pretty sluggish experience and it wasn't just wasn't great so i know you're probably biased but what do you think about PWAs instead of a hybrid app? Yeah, I think that PWAs are a great middle ground between your mobile website and your and your native app. I think that you can have all three and serve different audiences, or I guess both, you know, a PWA and a native app, because there are folks that will never download a native app. They just won't. 
<laughs> like no matter how many times you tell them that you'll get they'll get push notifications or if the experience is better even if it is they will just never download your app and i think for those folks you want to give them the best experience possible and a pwa solves a lot of those problems even with like push notifications coming to the latest, you know, a new version of iOS soon and, and existing on Android for a while. That's really exciting. But what I worry about with PWAs is that I have like never seen someone use one in the wild. Like, like I, oh, really? it's so, it's so rare to actually see someone click the share button and then do add to home screen on iOS and actually use those at our development circle, I think is like small and a bubble and people do it, but it's rare to see quote, normal folk <laughs> out in the world install a progressive web app uh, on their home screen. And, and I think that yeah. that's where PWAs actually fall short because it's not, to them, it's harder than searching the app store for something. It's harder. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's, you can build on that. Like I was talking to a prospect the other day and they were like, we don't want to do a mobile app, but we told 10 of our potential customers like what our product name was and to go to productname.com and you know what they did? They opened up the app store and searched for our product name, all 10 of them. And it's like, okay, you know, that market needs that app just for discoverability. And, and a PWA is not going to get you that. There's no PWA directory that it's installed on every single phone that exists in the world, you know, on iOS and, and Android, right? Like that, the discoverability and, and the marketing there is where mobile apps really excel before you even start getting into native features and, and native functionality. It's just like, People have their ways, and sometimes that way is searching in the app store. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you were talking, I was just imagining like trying to explain to my parents or someone <laughs> how to install a PWA. Yeah, yeah. It's so broken on iOS. I mean, Android's had for so long just that ability to say, "Hey, click here if you want to install this app," yeah. and then it just installs a PWA, and you could do that on iOS if iOS would just give you that functionality. Like to be able to tell like, hey, this app is PWAable. Do you want to install it? But I think Apple just wants to stay in their walled garden. Yeah, I think that there's probably a lot of that going on. I do think that to give Apple some credit, like being able to install a web app like on your desktop now with within Sonoma, like the latest version of Mac OS into your dock. I think that that's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, I won't use it because I'd rather just keep my tabs closed. Like that's just me personally. Like, you know, I only have my, in my dock right now, I have literally Finder and Chrome because that's what I need for this call. And I wouldn't want something in my dock that's just going to like sit there and never be used. But I think that them, Apple making the progress towards like accepting PWAs and finally allowing push notifications in a PWA is like a great starting point for it to be more commonplace. I just don't know if they're going to be able to change the culture of folks going to the app store to search for something or doing something on the web. Like where's that middle ground? If, if they had a way to monetize it, they'd do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I not think any money I, was, PWAs. I was hopeful when I saw the like whole payer Mm-hmm. related features of the web API, right, come out. Yeah. I was hopeful that, oh, okay, like, finally, like, you know, they're going to open that up and let, you know, all these big vendors come in and allow people to, like, buy stuff and apps, like, from their size. But, you know, the more you think about it, the the bigger the garden is, right? Like, <laughs> like Apple has their own payment 
ecosystem, right? Yeah. Like yeah. they don't want people doing that third-party vendor paying system. <laughs> For sure. Right? Like, yeah. Uh, and so I don't think they would ever get to the point where they would want people to just be able to download an app, right? They want them to get into the app store. Um, and so for that reason, I, I don't have much hope for PWAs <laughs> either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I think the PWAs are just like also like the discovery issue of it. PWAs, you're competing against everything on Google or your search engine. The App Store, you're only competing against the apps in the App Store. There's a million apps in the App Store, but there's way fewer apps than there are websites in the world. And and like that's the comparison. It's like you, you can invest that amount of time and effort and, and maintenance to be competing in a much smaller, like bigger fish, small pond type marketing. Yeah. I mean, with the PWA, you can use the tool sets that you are basically already familiar with. So mm -hmm. I think PWAs do have a leg up there. However, if you compare even the learning overhead of iOS or Xcode, if you were to compare building a turbo native app with uh, Xcode, you know, forget Android for now, but mm -hmm. just iOS speaking, it is so much easier to build a turbo-native application than a proper PWA one. Writing all of the different registers and the workers that you need for a PWA is really a pain mm -hmm. to get it all working properly. I mean, just little things like a pull-down refresh doesn't exist for a PWA. You have to build in that functionality. Yeah. And I think you get so much more from an iOS turbo native application just out of the box than you would with a PWA. Yeah, and especially just the fact that you're using a native navigation stack. So you get those, like every time you click a link, you're going to get that screen slide in from the right. And when you click back, you're going to get that screen pop off the stack and slide in from the left and your modals slide in from the bottom. Like those, that little, what feels little because it's free on iOS uh, just creates this illusion of native that you won't get with a PWA unless you just spend a ton of time customizing all of those web transitions to look perfect and to match the platform. And at that point, like, yeah, you're using the tools you're, you know, best, but you probably are going to end up spending more work than if you had just learned a little bit of Swift or learned a little bit of Kotlin. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so I do have a lingering question because when I was playing around with Turbo Native a few years ago, uh, before Strata, when Strata was announced, but you know it took them yeah. two years <laughs> to release, <laughs> uh, there was this whole debate going on, and I know that uh, I think that you were part of it. It was a GitHub issues. You couldn't use Swift UI with Turbo Native. Is that still the story, or has that changed? Yeah, there's, I know the exact issue you're talking about. That issue, okay, so high level, you can use SwiftUI with Turbo Native. Uh, my talk at Rails World, we, I showed a, a map, like a native map that was built with SwiftUI. What that issue is talking about is that it wants to integrate Turbo Native directly into a SwiftUI app. So on iOS, there's two different ways of presenting you know, the UI, UI kit, the traditional way, and Swift UI, the more modern way. Um, Turbo Native requires your app be a UI kit app. You have access to like UI navigation controller. It's more of like the old school way of doing things. But you can drop down to Swift UI for specific screens. 
That's always been the case. So the way that I build Turbo Native apps is a UI kit app um, with Turbo Native integrated into it. And then for native screens, I just use a Swift UI screen. It's only a small portion of my app. That issue wants to convert Turbo Native to be able to use in a full Swift UI app. So that would mean like everything in your app is, is done with declarative UI. Uh, everything is like nested components and stuff. Way more like a React style app than a MVC Rails style app. I think that it's a great option if we could make it work and have give the developer an option of using either one. But I personally don't build apps with full Swift UI because there are still a lot of issues around navigating between screens that isn't really ironed out. And I'd rather use UIKit to do all of that and use Swift UI only when I need to for those web views. Or sorry, for the for the native web. Sorry, for the native screens that are being rendered. So does that make sense? I know that's like a lot of detail yeah. just to answer <laughs> a question there, but um uh that's my approach for it. And hopefully that issue will be resolved and we can use a Swift UI app because it'd actually be a lot easier to get started. It's just like when you hit that wall of Swift UI, you're really stuck. Like when you mm-hmm. want to push Swift UI past what it does out of the bo- out of the box, you need to do a lot of hacking and need to know UI kit anyway to make something work. So I usually just say Use Swift UI for your screens and do your app in UI Kit and put Turbo Native in the middle. Cool. Yeah, because I know that was a stumbler block when I first started because I was watching one of the WWDCs and they announced Swift UI and I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll give um, iOS development another try. And I go to create the application and I'm mm-hmm. given that choice. Do I want Swift or Swift UI? I'm like, well, I want to use the newer stuff. Right. And then I started trying to plug in Turbo Native into it. I'm like, this isn't working. This, I don't know if this is going to work. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. When you do that new project, you got to click Swift. You got to click UI kit and then you can yeah. start adding your Swift UI screens. But, um, what is this? November? Very soon. <laughs> uh, I've been working on a package called Turbo Navigator for the past few months, and it it brings Turbo iOS kind of up to speed with Turbo Android. Turbo Android, you get a lot of navigation functionality out of the box for free, and you have to do all of that manually on iOS. Turbo Navigator kind of brings them both back to feature complete with each other or feature parity. That library is going to get upstreamed into Turbo iOS in the next next, short amount of time, hopefully the next few weeks. Once that's merged in, I think that there might be a better path forward for Swift UI with Turbo iOS because Turbo Navigator kind of sits above Turbo iOS in a way that lets you manipulate screens and stuff without having to go into nitty gritty details. And that is a really good abstraction layer to add Swift UI on top of. So I'm hoping that that opens up the door for a more seamless Swift UI integration, like, you know, medium term future. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm excited I think for that. For the smaller shops, the concern is, and more so my concern, is that I want to focus on building my web application. Mm-hmm. And I do see the value or need for having a native application uh, to some degree. And I don't want to spend half my time building a small feature, which is the Turbo Native app, and then half my time building the features out for the web application. So having that 
uh, Turbo Navigator, I think, is going to help bridge some of the needed learning to build the iOS part. Yeah, for sure. I I found it cuts out like 100, 150 lines of boilerplate from, from every project I bring it on. And if you look at the demo app in Turbo iOS right now, it's like seven or eight different files. They each have like 50 lines of code in them. And it does a lot of stuff. Yeah, like it has an, even has a native screen. That's going to be reduced, I think, by maybe an order of magnitude, the number of lines of code in there. Because there's just like, there's a whole class that's around like, when there's a modal and we push a screen and it pops and it does this and, it, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's all just handled out of the box of Turbo Navigator. And we can just remove that whole file and say, delegate it to Turbo Navigator. And that's just like a tip of the iceberg type stuff. So really excited for that to get, um, I'm opening that PR very soon. (laughs) That's going to be exciting. So what is the easiest way for a Rails developer to get started to build a Turbo Native app? You know, what are the best learning resources? Yeah, Yeah, I'm kind of throwing this as an opportunity to (laughs) shamelessly self-promote, but... Yeah, right? It's a... So there's not many people writing about or presenting or talking about Turbo Native right now. I hope that changes soon and there are more people in the future. But right now, I think the best thing you can do is watch my talk on from Rails World. It it dives. I cover why you would want to use it, so you can like you know present it upstream if you need to to like your manager or CTO or something. It also talks about how to actually get started on iOS. I, I walk through. An, a brand new Xcode project to a working Turbo native app in like 15 minutes. Code that you can then just copy paste and you have like a baseline starter point. So I think that that's a really good introduction to figuring out like if this is going to be for you, like kind of like a sanity check of like, okay, do I even like how this works and how this looks? From there, you are at a bit of like a, a crossroads because I have a series of blogs on my art on my on my website which is mazalati.com walking through every single step to get turbo ios working six part series like native authentication um popping controllers you know dealing with all of this stuff but it's a little out of date now because of turbo navigator so you're in a little bit of like a we're in a, a transitionary period right now where we're not sure like the the old documentation still works and i recommend reading it cuz you'll need to know it but like it's going to be not applicable in like the next few months, you know? So I think that right now your best bet is to watch that video, check out Turbo Navigator on GitHub, and, and from there, piece together what you can for an iOS and an Android app. I think that's going to be like a really good starting point for you in terms of like, I need an MVP out the door that does basic navigation. From there, uh, my blog has a ton of specific articles on Turbo Native. Like here's how to do, you know, push notifications or here's how to do authentication. And like you can find different pieces you want. I also release that on a weekly newsletter. Uh, what I'm very excited about though is that I'm writing a book. And I'm super excited for this because I've been thinking about the book for like two years now. I have like 15 people in there doing beta reading right now, like checking out the manuscript. I'm up to like 30,000 words. It's like 15 chapters. I'm super excited about this. And this is going to be, you're a Rails developer and you want to do Turbo Native, read this book. And 
I know I'm excited about it, but it's not out yet. So I can't feel like go buy it or whatever. But uh, this, I think, is going to be the best resource for someone who wants to really dive into the framework and figure out how they can bring iOS and Android apps to their business. It's going to be a little while. Of course, it's a book. It takes a long time. Um, but I think until then, it's really my blog for iOS. And then there's also someone named William Kennedy, who's doing some Android stuff, has some Android videos out there. And uh, Miles Woodruff is also doing some stuff on like, I'm getting started with Turbo Native. Here's my experience. It's a cool follow along. Uh, but yeah, it's most of the content is coming from me right now. So if you're following me, like you're going to see most of it. If you're looking to really dive in and you're like, I don't want to read a book. I don't want to watch a video. I just want someone to teach me. I run a quarterly crash course on Turbo Native, and I'm hosting one in the beginning of December. So that is a two, a three hour long, or sorry, two hour long live session. Last quarter, we had 50 people in it. And I essentially live code for two hours straight and ask and Q&A on how to build Turbo Native iOS from scratch. So we walk through authentication, we do some strata, we do Turbo Navigator, we do all the stuff that like you need, you leave it and you could like probably build an app in the, in the next few weeks on your own. Um, links to that are on my website. And like I said, the next session is going to be right at the beginning of December, which, which I'm excited about. That's really awesome. Yeah, and and self promotion there, I know, but like, there's really no not many other people that are writing about it, so it's hard to it's hard to recommend anything else right now. Yeah, I made a few videos on Drift and Ruby, but they were just always just so high level that doesn't really dive into everything that you need to know. So, um, thank you for plugging those resources. Yeah, I I know we haven't talked about it yet but I've been meaning to bring it up is the competitive alternatives <laughs> that yeah. have been out there a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know react native is a big one and flutter and where, where does this lay in the landscape of things and maybe why not use one of those versus turbo native, right? Yeah. Great question. I think that there are, in my mind, there are, three competitors to Turbo Native, like three classes of competitors. Uh, one is you do the full thing native. You build out every single screen on I. <laughs> Thanks, Apple. <laughs> uh, you build out every single screen on app on iOS, on every single screen on Android, uh, fully native. You do APIs on the back end. Second is something like React Native, where you're building out your mobile UIs for each platform, but you can share your back end API code. And the third option is more of a Dart Flutter type approach where you're writing the same thing for your code base and it exists, it renders across all three platforms, Android, iOS, and web. Let's work through those backwards because it makes I think it makes the most sense. Uh, Flutter, I think, is a great choice if you aren't using Rails. Like with Flutter I've, and, and Dart, like it's a whole new stack. It's a whole new language. I think you can hook into a Rails backend and use it as like your API, but Flutter and Dart really work well when you have the whole thing on the same ecosystem. So for a Rails developer, to me, it's a non-starter. You're no longer writing Rails anymore. Maybe you have an API, but like you're really writing Dart 
the whole time. And and to me, that's just like, if you want to do that, go for it. But it's it's not what I want to do. I want to write Ruby. I want to write Rails code, right? And and that doesn't give me that option. Uh, it is a great alternative, though, if you want to learn Dart and Flutter because you write your front end once and it works across all your platforms. It's pretty great. Going fully native, option one, I think is what I said, is an excellent option if you have a team of like five iOS and five Android developers. You have full teams of of web, full teams of, of, of native developers, and you have the flexibility and the bandwidth to build out everything on every platform to the highest degree of fidelity. And there's, you know, no, you know, no expense is skipped in that in that world. You're going to have high maintenance apps. You're going to have high fidelity apps. They're going to look great. They're going to have a lot of bugs, but you're going to have a lot of team to fix them. That's a great approach. If you have the team to do it, it's going to be the best experience for your end users too. Like I would never want to use like a hybrid version of, you know, a chat based app, like WhatsApp or something. That's just going to be a bad experience, you know, for, for, for end users. Like that should, that needs to be native. It's all native stuff. Your, how that fits into the Rails ecosystem is that you have a Rails API. You're not using Hotwire. You're not using any front end stuff to build your native screens. You're only using it to consume JSON API type endpoint stuff. So if you're a backend Rails developer, that might sound appealing to you too. But that's really going to come down to like what your team dynamic is. And I definitely wouldn't recommend that for a solo solo developer or like a small startup with like one or two Rails devs. The last option is React Native, which I think is the biggest competitor in this space to Turbo Native. React Native works in a way where you can build your Rails API once, you build your web React components once, and you build your native React components once. So you're building your front end twice, once for web and once for native, but you can share your native components between iOS and Android, right? You can submit the exact same, I think, build to both app stores because they build in different ways. And you save a lot of time there. If you already have a React front end on your Rails website, you're just using a Rails API, this is a great option. Your Rails developers already know React. They already know the JavaScript. They already know how to do all of it. React Native is a really good choice there. If you're not using React on the front end and you're using something more boring like Hotwire or just a plain old Rails app, you're going to have to build all of your API out first before you can even get off the ground with React Native. You're going to then have to build all of your web component, your native components all over again because you don't have those, those existing on your, your Rails side, your, your web side. So I don't like to use React Native because I like to stick to Hotwire, stick, stick to the boring Rails stack, right? The omakase of, of Rails. If you have Re- React on the front end for your Rails app, React Native is not a bad choice. Just know that you have to build out every new feature at least one more time for native because you can't use your web components 100%, you can can try, on native with React. You have to tweak them or copy-paste them or most likely rewrite them for for native um, once for for both platforms there. So all of those considered, like Turbo Native is the least, the lowest maintenance of all of them. You build once, you deploy once, you have it across all of your platforms. No other alternative provides that still with the exception of Flutter, but I don't count that an, uh, an alternative because you're not writing Rails anymore. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I think that broke it down pretty great. Uh, and I, I mean, I've heard good things about Flutter, but I also don't want to program in Dart, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I'm not I'm not shooting down Flutter. I have a, my friend's a Flutter developer, and 
he has this little app that we we play with around with on the weekends and it's fun. It, it works great. And like I can access it on the web, my my phone, my Android tablet, like all these things. And it works. It's fine. Uh, but he's a JavaScript developer and Dart was comfortable to him and he'll never touch Rails. Right. So. I'm not I'm not that's not me. <laughs> I'm a Rails developer. Awesome. Was there anything else that we need to uh, pick your brain on? I think you did a great job explaining most of it. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think that for developers that are, for Rails developers that are scared of native code, um, yeah, <laughs> right? I don't want to say, oh, just learn it. It'll be easy. Because like, it's not, right? It, it, it's not easy to learn a whole new language, a whole new stack. What I will say is that in the last few years, Swift and Kotlin have gotten so much better that they feel way more like Ruby than they used to. Yes, they're going to be way more verbose. Yes, it's strongly typed. Yes, you have to compile it. But they feel a lot more and they took a lot more inspiration from Ruby than they used to when like version one came out of these. And I think that if you're if you're if the language is what's holding you back, give them another try do like a, you know, if you have an iPad, download um, Xcode Playgrounds or Swift Playgrounds, play around with some code on there. You don't have to pay anything for it. It's free. Go through the Google tutorials on, on the Kotlin stuff. See which one you like. Because I think that you'll like it. You'll learn to like it a little bit more than you think or more than you used to a few years ago before they've added a lot of the niceties to those languages. That's my advice for someone who is just like a little maybe intimidated by the native stuff. And there are so many free resources out there to learn Swift and Kotlin now um, that it you have you have a hard time finding something that didn't fit the way that you learn you know video articles tutorials or or books and stuff like that. Yeah, I think my biggest issue on native iOS applications was getting all of the view stuff correct. Mm-hmm. So I would set up something on a you know certain iPhone device. And then I would switch it over to a iPad or something else. And then all of my view things were just completely out of whack. So um, I definitely, I think I'm living in that turbo native world Mm -hmm. and not wanting to touch Swift as much as possible. But I think you still have to know some of the lower level APIs uh, if you want to do more tightly integration with the hardware. Yeah, exactly. Like. We didn't touch on this very much, but if you have your MVP Turbo Native app that is essentially, you know, copy pasted from my, my Rails World talk, like that's going to get you really far. And it's going to get you as far as how much content you have on your website. Every single screen will be accessible. But if you want to integrate with a native API, you have to learn that native API. If you want to do push notifications, you have to learn how to do push notifications on iOS and Android. But the good thing is that once you make the bridge from your Turbo Native web screen to Native World, with Strata, you can follow any old iOS or Android tutorial. You don't have to find the like iOS turbo native push notification tutorial. A, it doesn't exist. <laughs> B, like that's that you don't need that. You actually only, once you know how to bridge the gap with Strata down to native code, you can follow any boring old Swift or Kotlin tutorial on how to use those APIs, even the documentation, the official documentation. And that's kind of this like, you know, mind opening world where it's like, I don't need to find specific tutorials for Turbo Native anymore. 
I got Turbo Native under. I, I understand it now. I need to know how to do native maps. Cool. Google Map Kit. Uh, you know, uh, Android, uh, whatever maps use on Android. It's like you learn that and you're slowly building up your native expertise. Yeah. But you only are touching on the exact tiny little sliver that you need to do what you want for your apps, which is really powerful. You don't have to yeah. worry about all the UI layout or all the navigation, all that stuff. Or how do I get to the settings screen? It's like, no, do that in Rails. Render that single screen on native and just learn how to do that one tiny little sliver with native code. And that is really appealing to me because even me as an iOS developer, I've only touched on like six of the 35 frameworks that Apple provides in my entire like career, you know, but six is a ton. <laughs> like you might only have to ever touch on one or two. And, and I think that that's really powerful. Yeah. The documentation aspect, I think, is so important. Being able to refer back to the official documentation or other native documentation, because that was the biggest pain in Ruby Motion. Yeah. Having to translate their Objective C documentation to what Ruby Motion would consider to be its equivalency. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about that with, with, uh, with Turbo Native. You're just, you're just writing good old Swift or good old Kotlin. Once yeah. you get past the past, like, you know, break through the barrier. All right. Well, I'm going to push us over to some picks. If people want to follow you, Joe, where should they go? Where are you most active online? Yeah. Most active online on Mazzalotti.com, which is my last name. I have a weekly newsletter there where I keep up, keep folks up to date on like what I'm learning in that week in Turbo Native. And I also have updates on my upcoming workshops and, and books there. If you're more a social media person, um, I'm at Joe Mazzalotti on Twitter. Awesome. And when's your book uh, tentatively <laughs> coming out? Oh, man. Uh, the plan right now is to release an iOS-only version like sooner rather than later, and then come back and add in all of the Android stuff at a later date. Uh, I'm in beta test, beta reading right now, and I need you know, to do two more rounds of editing. So I don't think it's... Soon, but I don't think it's. Uh, I think it's. I think it's going to be 2024. That's that's a big okay. range, but I think that's when it's going to be released. Hey, that's probably going to be more accurate than the Strata release date. Yeah, so. <laughs> soon, coming soon. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks a lot for that, Joe. Uh, Valentino, do you want to kick us off with some picks? Sure. I, I'm in the AI world right now, and uh, OpenAI just announced like a ton of new awesome things. Uh, and I've, I've been working with the uh, Ruby OpenAI gem uh, gang to try and get all those API updates out for the gem, which to be honest, should be out any day, which is exciting. So I'm excited to play with their new API to create assistance and test out their knowledge retrieval system, which I'm skeptical about, but <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun at the least. Awesome. And I'll jump in here. Uh, I started working on a gem last night that I've actually already made some really good progress on. And it is a competitor to device, but using all native Rails 7.1 features and functionalities. So basically, if you were to just copy the contents of the gem, you'll find that it's all basically just Rails code that's very familiar. It doesn't have Warden or any of the headaches 
that comes with device, uh, nor the complexity. I'm very against a lot of meta programming. And so I'm trying to keep that out as much as possible. So uh, I create enough example applications and other applications that need authentication without the sledgehammer of what device is. But I also don't want to have to use something like sorcery where I am having to then handle building all of the views and all of that logic every single time. So it's a Rails engine. It's actually already released and it's functional in its most basic form. And it's called Action Off. So you can check that out. And Joe, do you have any picks? I, I saw you tweet about that earlier. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I use um, Barebones Rails 7.1 auth in all my demo apps. So excited to see that abstracted somewhere <laughs> without having to maintain that code. Um, I talked about it a lot today, but so I want to reiterate it. Uh, the Turbo Navigator package for Swift, it is what is going to be upstreamed into Turbo iOS soon. Uh, I've been working on that for a few months. I've been using it in a lot of client apps, but we definitely still need more beta feedback from folks that are using it in their own Turbo Native apps. So if you are building with Turbo Native and want to experiment with something that will take a lot of boilerplate off of your plate, then check out Turbo Navigator. And if something doesn't work, please let me know and you know leave an issue or a pull request because... Once that makes it into Turbo iOS, it's going to be a lot harder to change because we'll be tied to a Semver, you know, semantic versioning. Right now, this is like a beta, you know, presented as is 0.01 release. So it's really easy to change stuff right now. Awesome. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for coming on and talking with us. Learned a lot more about Turbo Native. Um, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been a blast. I've uh, been a big fan of the pod for a while. So it's cool to finally be here. And I am very excited to see where Turbo Native goes next. I know there's a lot that I that's in the pipeline, things that I know about that I can't even talk about, which is really cool. So um, you know, watch watch this space for for what's coming next because there's some really exciting stuff. Awesome. Hopefully, it's a Rails new whatever my <laughs> app name, and it generates a Turbo iOS application right there along with it. Please. <laughs> <laughs> But awesome. Yeah, thanks again for coming. And, you know, I'll definitely keep keep an eye out on what's to come. Awesome. 